Chapter 10 of Laughter Limited. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. Laughter Limited by Nina Wilcox Putnam. Chapter 10. I say I almost had myself bluffed to that point of view, but not quite. Deep down, in an unquenchable corner of my heart, a persistent voice kept telling me that I was taking a chance and that I knew it, but I kept that voice within bounds by arguing that this was a modern day and age, and nobody could afford to be too big a prune. But I didn't go down and tell Adele about my invitation, as I ordinarily would have, and dressed alone. By the time I was dulled, my excitement and enthusiasm had grown up to a pretty high pitch, and when Anita and her friend was announced, and I come down through the lobby to meet them, I wanted to shout that I was dining at the great Mr. Muro's, and wondered if maybe the fact didn't just naturally show on me anyways. I would not have been the least surprised to see somebody point at me and say in a loud whisper, There goes one of Tom Muro's next stars. She's dining with him tonight. She has a big future, that girl has. Well, Anita's sweetie had a red tie to match his hair, and also several drinks before meeting us going out in his car, which they all seemed to have one, even if it was only a B.C. model of some sort. Well, anyways, going out, he told us all about what was wrong with pictures and what vices who had, and the real inside facts about the crooked way this person got their contract, and anything else you choose. Believe me, that boy could peddle the why. But I was hardly listening to him, because it always made me kind of dreamy, driving out to the beach at nightfall, with the lights in the houses, climbing the hills like lost fireflies, and that eternal perfume of oil and burning cedar sort of intoxicating me. And if it hadn't been for Stricky going back on me the way he done, I would have been quite happy. It's a funny thing, but whenever I was out with two sweeties, such as Tommy and Anita, I always got to dreaming of how I loved Stricky and encouraging a lot of lonesomeness in myself, the way the third party is apt to in such a case. Sweet daddy, it is no easy thing for a girl to sit in the tonneau of a big bus all alone on a moonlight night and watch the silhouettes of two good friends of either sex on the front seat, even if one of them is driving. Only a person of great strength of character like myself can resist taking on something temporary when they are constantly exposed to that sort of stuff. Well, anyways, Anita and this goof were particularly bad specimens, and my only comfort lay in the thought that, well, anyways, my hair would not be all mussed up when we got to the party. It was kind of a shock to me, though, when we swung down off Ocean Boulevard in Santa Monica and stopped in front of a frame cottage that would not have been really conspicuous back home at Stony Brook Beach. At first I thought there must be some mistake, and that we had not got there yet. Is this Mr. Muro's house, I says, trying not to be too disappointed, because I had naturally expected it to be a palace. Sure it's his house, says Tommy, helping me out but not the one he lives in. He just has this one for bathing and other parties. Well, Muro's stock went up with me again, because a three-story house is a big one to keep just as an extra, so to speak, and once inside I got even more impressed. There was two Jap butlers in sort of bumblebee costumes in the lower hallway, and a blast from errant saxophones was shaking it up in the big shadowy room beyond. Not to mention the elegant big bedroom upstairs into which Anita and I was shown, there to lay our humble wraps down among a flock of evening capes, which looked like a bargain sale at a brocade factory. Some bungalow, Anita whispered to me. Kid, this is class. We are in on the real thing. I'll say we are, I says, taking in the painted furniture, thick carpets, and crowding females around the long dressing mirrors. I guess we must have been mistaken about being asked to dinner. 
where on earth could they feed this crowd unless at a buffet oh it's dinner all right says anita finding parking space for a little more rouge on her lips nothing small time about mr muro you said it says one of the girls at the mirror in a silver spangled dress which commenced way below the chin and forgot to go on below the knees you said it tom certainly can peddle a party over to one side was a couple of girls which i recognized them as kit newt divers betty anders and another whose name i didn't know but i had often seen both of them in comedies and bathing suits and now easily recognized them because of their being practically dressed the same tonight also they was talking together and this is what they says are you taking up golf too dear says betty and the other one come back with oh my dear i've been at it for an age then betty says i do hope you won't think it odd my coming here tonight with harry his wife is ill poor dear and he simply insisted i'm uneasy about our being seen together though you know how fearfully easily people talk well i guess that super boston accent coming from the well-known divers was even more of a jolt than the inside of muro's house had been then anita was all set and we drifted along downstairs during that first half hour of the evening i was impressed by the air of refinement and the english pronunciation on every hand i felt like a mutt and common as dirt there was forty people at the party and nobody introduced anybody around i didn't even know which was mr muro almost all of the girls was in evening dress but none of the men but yet it was a brilliant scene and everybody spoke whether they knew each other or not after the bumblebee jap butlers had buzzed around with a flock of cocktails but buzzed around me in vain somebody threw open a double door like in a drama and there was a huge round table and if you have never seen a table set for forty people you can guess my sensations otherwise not especially when i add that not alone was this table glistening with glass and silver and the center of it heaped with scarlet eucalyptus blossoms and white oleanders but at each and every place set a whole quart of champagne i felt an awful funny mixture of thrill scare and pleasure as a little short fellow which had been telling me how good he was seized me by the arm and we went into that dining-room somewheres about the middle of a long procession which was dancing to their meal the jazz band leading the way and that band never stopped the whole time we ate because in hollywood it is a fixed custom that you get either incessant phonograph or incessant jazz band with every social gathering and a mighty lucky thing too because otherwise the folks might have to talk well the little feller which had brought me in had kind of run short on how good he was and so commenced to vary the talk with how good i was according to him i was some wren and too good to work for my living also i soon found out his politics he was a shin finder well of course i wasn't going to stand for any rough stuff like that and so i crossed mine the other way on the far side of my chair and talked to the partner on the other hand of me who happened to be anita's tommy and would you believe it he started a hot line at once and there was anita only three places away i tried to stall him off by asking who was everybody and it seems several of the big comedy producers was there as for the girls they was mostly d minus leads or just girls well i don't like to say much about any party to which i have been a invited guest but there are occasions when this doesn't go and mr muro's party was one of them did you ever see an early roman film called quo vadis i don't mean one of these new importations i mean a very old one made in italy about thirty a d well it is a marvelous picture for a costume piece and there is some pretty rough parties in it but it got by the censors and this party i am telling you about would not have and yet there was some footage that evening at muro's which to this day stands out in my mind like stills when dinner was half over of the most beautiful food i had ever seen in my life 
the front door burst open and in come atlas smith you know the famous strong man and he was followed by a stormy crowd of friends which had all of them invited themselves to this party of ours and had already got thoroughly wet before arriving well the first still i am telling about is of atlas he having broken up the party from the table and by then nobody cared if they ate any more or not well atlas he started something with anita and she pretended she didn't care for it and lay down on the floor and commenced to holler so this big giant lifted her up on the palms of his hands and bumped her against the ceiling until she yelled uncle he did it with no more effort than if she had been a paper doll although he was very drunk with no collar on and the muscles in his neck never even strained that is one of the stills i will never forget another is of betty the girl which had been so refined upstairs her pretty accent all wilted her face misty with drink and talking natural while holding out her overflowing wine-glass to me and bawling me out because i was sober drink wish me dearie she yelled shay you're too damn refined for this party which was checked off to humor by the rest of the crowd well when we left the table i was in a sort of daze not knowing quite what to do my brain actually couldn't take it all in it was like a mask had fallen off everybody there leaving something fluid exposed i'm not trying to be funny by meaning the liquor i mean that when these folks forgot their false fronts which it's the truth we all present one to the world there didn't seem to be nothing left to them but mush they pawed anybody near they said things sweet daddy the room swam in a blue haze of cigarette smoke and sound waves from the saxophones and for a moment it seemed to me that the man and women's face floated in that curious sea half detached from their bodies like the bloated faces of drowned people it was a nasty thought but honest that is the way it looked i felt sick and crawled off behind a thick curtain in a bay window but even that curtain seemed heavy with strong perfume and tobacco smoke and the damask felt slimy under my hand as i clung to it trying to think and then a pale face like a moon come around the corner after me it was the little man which had danced me in to dinner and his face was pasty white i like you he says in a thick voice how would you like to go to work tomorrow i will sign a contract then his wet paw reached out and lit on my bare shoulder that was enough ordinarily i am no athlete but when a thing has got to be done it can i give that clown one shove which sent him unexpectedly half across the window into a big chair where he sat stupidly staring like a big japanese doll which i had thrown there he didn't seem real but i cut out for all of that somehow i stumbled and fought my way across the floor which was now crowded with dancers and up the dim stairway disturbing a couple who were mushing it up frantically i dug my coat out of the pile and then down the stairs again the laughter and screams and jazz beating in my face like a evil wind at the front door a woman caught me and called something aloud it was anita you little fool she screamed angrily that was tommy muro himself well i don't give a damn i shouted back and then i tore myself away from her and slammed out into the cool dark street how long i ran and ran i hardly know i wasn't wearing any speedometer so i can't be sure but i'll say it seemed like a hundred miles the part of the beach that i was at is all built up into narrow streets mere alleys a lot of them and at night they are dark like the middle ages they twist and turn a lot too i would dart up one of them as far as it ran straight and then along the next one and the next dim lights twinkled here and there and a strong salt wind brought in the roar of the pacific pretty soon the narrow stifling houses was behind me and the big clean stretch of ocean was there on my left shoulder under a white moon ahead the lights of venice which is the coney island of the coast winked and twinkled 
I was running along an immense boardwalk by then, my high heels catching in the cracks, but not enough to stop me. Where I was going I didn't know, except that it was away. And then all of a sudden I couldn't run any further. I was dog-tired, and seeing a bench under an electric lamp, I flopped on it and buried my face in my hands and cried. That can't be the way you got to do it, Bonnie, I says. Don't tell me different. I know in my heart. If a person has the goods to deliver, someone will buy them at a fair price, surely. I don't believe things like that has to be done. I won't believe it. I'll get in the pictures yet, and get in straight, so help me. Well, when I had said all that to myself, I quit crying and felt better, and commenced to wonder how was I to get home, for the thought just come to me that I didn't have a nickel with me, even if the cars was still running, nor have any idea how or where was a taxi stand or a telephone. It was a distinctly poor situation all the ways around, and I felt pretty weak and miserable and helpless. Not even a cop was anywhere in sight, and the only thing that moved was a passing auto with a mushing couple in it. Then along the boardwalk came a solitary figure, a young man walking briskly, whistling and swinging a cane. I kind of shrank up close against the lamp by instinct, hoping he wouldn't take any notice of me. My head was down, and at first he started to pass by. Then he slowed up and come back, kneeling with one knee on the other end of the bench and giving me a light poke with his cane. Good evening, kid, he says, and I looked up. It was Stricky. End of chapter 10